If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open to 1 Kings chapter 19. And as you do that, I just want to remind you that a couple weeks ago, we started talking about faith, and Pastor Doug last week uh, continued through uh, that same theme. But two weeks ago, we talked about establishing a foundation for our faith and some of the things that we needed to do in our life and prepare ourselves for so that we could have an established faith to fall back on when life gets hard. Um, you see Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, it says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. It's not if, but when the day of evil comes, when those trials come, when you go through the valley, you have a faith to stand firm on. And I asked our, I'm going to put this up, uh, our graph up on the screen and we put up a couple weeks ago, you see a lot of us assume that life, when we give our life to Jesus, is this upward journey of faith and things are going well, but life typically looks more like this. You have those mountaintop experiences where uh, you're close to Jesus, you're praying, you're hearing him speak to you, you're doing great things, but then you kind of wander into the valley, those low parts of life where we really tend to struggle in our faith. You know, there's some doubt going on. Is God listening to me? Does God have a plan for my life? And so we walk through those valleys, but then we come through on the other side, usually better off than when we first wandered into the valley. And so God has a plan, even through those low points in our life. But today, as we're going to study uh, the life of Elijah, you know, I love Elijah because I'm so reminded by his life, of, of our lives, and my life in particular, of how, you know, we, in one moment we could witness the greatest act of God, but in the next moment you are struggling to believe, is God with me in this moment? You know, I know he was here then, but is he still with me now? And we tend to live in our doubts and fears. And so when we read through this chapter today, I think there's a lot for us to glean from the life of Elijah. But as I said a couple of weeks ago, when we started talking about uh, faith. You know, I was um, at one point in my life, I was in school studying to be a golf professional. I wanted to be a teaching professional, run a golf course. And that's what I was doing before God called me in a different direction. Uh, but I was a pretty good golfer. For those of you guys who know anything about golf, I carried about a two handicap. So I, I was a pretty good golfer. Never sniffed the tour or anything, nowhere near that good. In fact, I was a complete mental wreck. You know, so my brain was always a mess. So I would go out one day and have this great round of golf and follow it the next day with a horrible round of golf or even hole by hole. I'd play well here the next hole. You know, I'd go out and struggle because in between the ears, I can never quite get that fixed. And so one day um, I go see a sports psychologist. This is, it's a little bit of vulnerability for me here because, you know, that yes, they do exist, and yes, I went to see one, so, but I struggled so much that I went to see a sports psychologist, and it was a really eye-opening experience for me because I sat down, and she said, so tell me what's going through your mind when you're standing over a shot, what's going through your mind when you hit a bad shot, when you hit a good shot, what are you thinking about, what's your routine like, and we kind of talked through um, my golf game a little bit, and so she says, I got a couple exercises I want to do with you, and she said, I said, okay, and so she says, get out your keys. So I got my keys out. You can try this at home. It works. Um, and she said, I want you to hold them between your, your, your thumb and your pointer finger. I just want you to hold them in your, in your hand. I don't want you to squeeze too tight. I don't want you to hold so loose that you can't hold on to them. Just kind of hold them in your fingers. I said, now close your eyes. And so I closed my eyes. And uh, she goes, now imagine that you've dipped those keys in oil. And they're becoming slipperier, slipperier and slipperier, and you can't hold on to them anymore. They're getting ready to fall out of your hands. And as soon as she says that, they slip right out of my hand. And I was like, that was amazing. She goes, I got another one for you. She hands me a golf ball on the end of a string. She says, close your eyes, and I want you to think about a clockwise motion. I want you to think about a clock going. I want you to think about this ball moving in a clockwise motion. Don't move your hand. Just think about it. And she says, now open your eyes. And when I open my eyes, the ball's spinning at the end of the, the rope in a clockwise motion. She stops it and says, now do it reverse. Think counterclockwise. I think counterclockwise, the ball's going the opposite direction. 
And so I was like, man, that is incredible. And she said this. She said, what you focus on determines your outcome. What you focus on determines your outcome. She says, you can focus on the bad shot. You can focus on the the hazard. You can focus on the water or you can focus on the goal. And that will determine your outcome. Your mind has the ability to convince you to believe the lies, to believe that you're walking through the situation that you're walking through, and that's what you're, the way your life is supposed to be, or you can focus on God and believe him for the outcome. And so when we walk through life, our mind has the ability to convince us to follow God or to choose to believe that we are in the circumstances for a reason, and I need to live in these circumstances and these problems and these trials, and I'm just going to dwell on that. And that's where Elijah finds himself today. We see, we tend to focus things on things that are outside of our control. In John 16, and this is one of my favorite verses in Scripture, it says, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus has overcome all of your trials. He's overcome all of our problems. He's overcome all of our fears. We just have to choose to trust in him. And you see, the Bible is filled with stories of people that did great things for God, that walked through great moments of doubt and failure. You see, Abraham uh, was called by God to go out and establish the nation of Israel, make him uh, the father of many nations. And he goes out and does that, but he had blunders throughout his life. It says that there was a drought in the land, and instead of trusting God in that situation, he packs everything up and he heads to Egypt and he lies to Pharaoh and uh, this whole mess happens from that. It said that Moses, in wandering in the wilderness, uh, he strikes the rock out of anger to, to provide for the Israelites. And God says, because of that, you won't enter the promised land. So he failed what God had called him to do. Jonah, it says, that was so fearful and afraid of the Ninevites and so angry towards them that he ran the opposite direction. And we know that Peter, when he walked on water, it says that, uh, but seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. It says that as soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus, he started to sink. And the Bible is filled with countless stories of these men and women that constantly put their eyes on their circumstances, the situation around them. Their focus was not on God. They were focusing on their circumstances. And on your outline, I want you to write this down. It says, when we focus on our circumstances, we cannot focus on God. When we focus on our circumstances, we cannot focus on God. Whether you're walking through a mountaintop or a valley, when you're focused on that, where you're at, you can't be focused on God and what his plan is for your life. You see, the great thing for us is that all of these men and women that failed, that doubted, that struggled, God still had a plan and God still used them. No matter where you're at in your journey, if you're running right now or if you're right where God wants you, God is using you and God has a plan for your life. And we'll see that in Elijah today. You see, there's one great example, and Jesus always tends to be the great example. There's one great example in scripture of what happens when we put our focus on Jesus in the trial. It says that Jesus was baptized and he went out into the wilderness for 40 days. And while he was out there, he was tempted by the devil. He says, I'll give you wealth. I'll give you power. I'll, make, I'll give you anything you could ever want. But it says that time after time, Jesus repeated scripture to him. And he said thing after thing to, him, to Satan saying, look, I'm focused on God's calling on my life, why I'm here. I'm focused on my father. He is the reason I'm here. He fo- put his focus in the right place, not on the circumstances Around him. And David wrote in Psalm 16, I've set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. When we set God before us, nothing can be against us, nothing can tear us down. Our faith can rest in him, but we have to keep focused on him no matter what we're walking through. God has a plan through your situation. 
And so a few months ago in January, I started talking about the prophet Elijah. And as I said, he's one of my favorite uh, Bible characters. I love his story. I love the faith that he had. I love the fact that he struggled because it reminds me that none of us are perfect. In fact, my youngest child, his name is Elijah. He's sleeping in the back back there. Um, you guys can oogle over him later. So, But, uh, you know, I love the story of Elijah because there's so much that we can relate to as believers. But God still had a plan for Elijah despite his failures. And so as we go into this story, I want to recap real quick kind of what Elijah has been through. There's two people that we're going to hear about in the story that you need to know about. Ahab is the current king of Israel. He's a wicked king. The Bible says that no king before him had done more evil than Ahab had done. And he's married to this woman, Jezebel, who was even more wicked than Ahab. In fact, at this point in the nation of Israel, basically she was running the nation of Israel because he was kind of a wuss, you know, didn't like to have a backbone, stand up and do things. Whatever Jezebel said happened. And so she uh, kind of ran the kingdom at this point. But in 1 Kings chapter 17, God is beginning to prepare Elijah for what for his calling, for what he's going to do. So he leads him out into the wilderness and is providing for him supernaturally through ravens. It says that ravens brought him meat and uh, brought him bread. There was a brook out there during the famine that he provided water through. So Elijah prayed for God to stop the rain. And for over three years, there was no rain in Israel. And so God's working in Elijah's life. And he tells Elijah to get up and go to Zarephath. And when he gets there, he's provided through a widow. He miraculously provides uh, food for her, a never-ending supply of food while he's there. And then while he's there, it says that her son dies. And he prays over the son, asks God to bring him to life. And for the first time in recorded history, Somebody is raised from the dead. It says that God gives him life and through Elijah's prayer raises the boy from the dead. And then you go to 1 Kings chapter 18. And God, this is where kind of the moment that God had been preparing Elijah for. It says that he goes to Mount Carmel. The, the nation was plundered in, in worship of Baal, this false idol. And he says, I'm going to have a showdown with the prophets of Baal. So he says, bring all the prophets to the top of Mount Carmel. When we get there, we're going to have a showdown. We're going to have two oxen. They're going to pray for Baal to consume the oxen with fire. And I'm going to pray to God to consume the oxen with fire. And so it says they sat there for about a half a day, calling out to Baal, cutting themselves, jumping around, making fools of themselves, saying, you know, burn up the sacrifice. But Baal never showed up. And then it says that Elijah dumps water all over the oxen, water spilling over the altar. And he calls upon God to send fire down. And it says, in a miraculous event, God sends fire from the heavens, consumes the altar, consumes the sacrifice. And so God showed up and did amazing things through Elijah, did the miraculous through the faith of Elijah. And then it says Elijah went and he prayed for God to send rain and uh, he prayed seven times and then God sent the rain over Israel and ended the drought. And so you look at this life of Elijah and he literally saw God show up time after time. God did miraculous thing after miraculous thing in his life. And yet as you pick up in 1 Kings chapter 19, one event changes all of that in the life of Elijah. So let's pick up in chapter 19, verse 1, and it says this. Now Ahab told Jezebel that underline all Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. You see, there are two parts to today's teaching. The first part, the first few verses all deals with how and why we doubt in our faith. What are the things that take our focus off of God. And then after that, we're going to see how God responds to Elijah and how he continues to move in Elijah's life despite the fact that he runs. How is God going to meet his needs when he needs him the most? And so it says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. The first thing I want you to write in your outline is that we lose faith when we focus on people. We lose faith when we focus on people. 
See, the amazing thing about what he says is Ahab has no mention of how God showed up in that event. Ahab is so mad at Elijah that there's no rain, that now Elijah shows up, he calls for fire, all the prophets of Baal are dead, he has to go back and deal with his wife now and say, all of your prophets are dead. And he was so focused on the person that he missed the miracle and he missed what God had done. And in times in life, when we focus on people, it can look like uh, alienating people, pushing them away. It can look like um, sometimes raising people up to a level they shouldn't be at. Or sometimes jealousy consumes us, our frustrations consume us. But in either circumstance, when we focus on people, we're not focused on God. You see, people will let us down. None of us in this room are perfect. You know, when we put our trust completely in people to bring us through and to, to bring us through our circumstances, we can't focus on God and see him for the bigger picture and see him for the bigger part of the plan. And so it says that Ahab completely missed the picture. You have to wonder how it'd be different if he didn't miss the picture and told Jezebel what God had shown up and what God had done. <coughs> in verse 2, carrying on, it says, Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me and even more, if I do not make your life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. So we know through scripture that whenever God sends judgment, usually repentance follows suit. The whole book of Judges is about people uh, turning to idol worship. God sends judgment. They repent. He sends a judge to restore them. And they're restored for a while. And then it says they fall back into sin. (coughs) Excuse me. So, in this story, it's safe to assume that Elijah assumed that after this judgment, all the prophets were killed, that there was going to be repentance and the nation was going to turn back to Israel. He had set up a false expectation of how the story was going to play out in his mind. And when it didn't play out that way, it says he gets frustrated and angry. And so the second thing I want you to write down is when we lose faith, we lose faith when we focus on our expectations. We lose faith when we focus on our expectations. You see, God has a plan. And we are part of God's plan. I don't have my plan and God is part of my plan. I am part of God's plan for my life. But what happens is we tend to set up these expectations of here's how my life is going to go. Here's where I'm going to end up. Here's how I'm going to get there. And a lot of times our life deviates from that plan. And we can either choose to say, God, I'm going to trust you in your plan, or we can choose to get angry because we're focused on, no, this is where I was supposed to be at this point in life. This is what I was supposed to be doing. And we get frustrated and angry and we focus on our expectations. You see, God asks us to trust him for the outcome. He says, Elijah, I want you to pray and trust me. That's all you need to do. And when he did it, the boy raised to life, the fire came down. God was responsible for the outcome. He says, Elijah, I just want you to pray and trust. That's all I'm asking you to do. Let me do the rest. And for some of us in here today, we need to trust God in our circumstance and trust God with our expectations. We need to expect what he wants for us and trust what he wants for us. Trust him for the outcome and not worry about where we're at. You see, we often can't change people. We can never change people and we can often not change our circumstances, but God can. God can. When we put our focus on him and trust him and his plan, Trust him for the outcome. See, I often say faith is like a journey uh, journey through a city. If you guys have ever been to a big city, New York, or something like that, and you're walking down the street, you can't really see past what's right in front of you. There's a bunch of buildings around you. You can't see past your current situation where you're currently at. But I always like to say God has the bird's eye view. 
You know, he sees where you're at. He sees where you're going. He knows how you're going to get there. And you have to trust him for the plan. There might be a big obstacle in front of you, but he has a plan to get around it and for you to work through it. You just have to trust him for the outcome. The other thing we get from verse two is how smart Jezebel was. You see, it says that she sent a messenger to Elijah. So we know that she knows where Elijah was. But instead of killing him right there, it says that she sent a message to him. And the message was, hey, I'm going to kill you. And so why would she do that? It makes me wonder, why would she just kill him when she had the opportunity? But I believe that if she killed Elijah and he becomes a martyr for his cause, it advances his message. You know, when he becomes a martyr, he's willing to die for what he has done, that people will start to believe. But she says, you know, if I can just make Elijah irrelevant and scared and on the run, then he becomes worthless to God. He becomes worthless to himself and worthless to everybody else. And so I'm going to threaten his life. And just like you and me, we're human. You know, she knows that most likely he's going to run the opposite direction. And sure enough, threatens his life and off he goes. And so she says, if I can make him disappear, that will make his message and his life irrelevant And of course he does that. In verse three, it says, and he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. So the next thing on your outline is we lose faith when we focus on our fears. We lose faith when we focus on our fears. How many of you guys have fears in life? I think all of us have something that we're afraid of. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you know mine right now. I'm deathly afraid of spiders. <laughs> Any guys got a fear of spiders? Come on, who's with me? It just, there's got to be more. I mean, last service, there was like four people. I'm like, you guys, the rest of you guys are lying because those things are, are evil. But I, I hate spiders. In fact, the next door, you know, in our office building, I've seen like four in the last 12 months. So I've told you know, Ashley, is like, we, ha- we have a major infestation. So... <laughs> We have to deal with that. But luckily, he and Drew come to my rescue often and kill spiders for me. And it's, uh, it's, it's a great relationship, working relationship we have there where they can come eradicate those things for me. But fears can be crippling. You know, a lot of us have real legitimate fears in life. You know, we're afraid of the situation that we're facing. We're afraid of what God's calling us to do. Uh, we're afraid of failure. You know, I know that fears can be crippling. And when we focus on those fears, it enables us, it stops us from being able to take the step that God is calling us to take. And sometimes it redirects us from where God is calling us to go. And we try to create our own path to avoid our fears. But remember that God has a plan. You see, Elijah says that he has a plan for Elijah, but Elijah chooses to run the opposite direction. And he doesn't run like and hide in the corner. It says that he ran a long ways away. It's a two-part journey. I want to put up a map. Uh, right here, just to show you kind of where he's going. At the very top of the map, you see Jezreel, and that's where he is meeting with Ahab and Jezebel. And, uh, and they, well, they tell him, they send the, the messenger to him, and it says that he runs from Jezreel to about halfway down the map, you see Beersheba. And this is the first part of the marathon. This is about an 80-mile or so journey from Jezreel to Beersheba. So he runs there, and it says that he abandons his servant, and then he takes a day's journey out into the wilderness and hides there. And so he starts to run. He's running from God, he's running from his fears, and he is, his plan has been sidetracked because he took his eyes off of Jesus and put him on his fear. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Underline this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter 
of our faith. The word fixing there is the Greek word aphorao, which is to turn your eyes away from other things and fix them on something else. Some of you guys need to fix your eyes on Jesus and take them off of your circumstances. You see, we tend to struggle with what's happening right now in my life and these, this major issue, the health issue that's in front of me, the financial issue that's in front of me, and our fears cripple us from being able to be in God's will and move forward and trust him for the outcome. And so you start to run. And we start trying to take things into our own hands just as Elijah did here. In fact, Paul himself, who wrote that last passage, he said in Philippians, he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord sometimes when things are good. He says always Rejoice. Some of us have to choose to rejoice in the circumstance we're in because it's the only thing you can do. You see, Paul didn't say this on the top of a mountaintop. It says that Paul at this point was chained to a Roman guard in prison facing potential death. But he says, you know what? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He says, whether my plot here is to die, I'm going to rejoice because that's God's plan. He says, if God just chooses to deliver me from this situation and set me free and let me continue my ministry, then I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always. So some of us have to choose that in our circumstance right now, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm not going to focus on my first circumstance. I want to focus on him. You see, we have a choice, but it's our choice to focus on God or our fears. Continuing on in verse four, it says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came down and sat under a juniper tree and underlined, he requested that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord, underlined, take my life for I am no better than my father's. On your outline, I want you to write this. When Elijah focused on people, his expectations and his fears, he became depressed. When Elijah focused on people, his expectations and his fears, he became depressed. You see, he literally goes to God and says, God, just kill me. Just kill me. And I bet you right now there are people in here that are in the middle of a situation where you kind of wish that was the way out. I bet you there's been times in your life where you've asked God, just take my life. I'd rather not walk through the situation. But God has a plan for your life. You see, depression is a very real thing. Some of you guys are walking through it right now. Some of you guys know somebody that's walking through it. I've been through it. I know people that have been crippled by depression. It's a very, very real problem. And Elijah, it says, finds himself right smack in the middle of depression so bad. He's like, God, just kill me. He's like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I can't walk through it anymore. Just take my life. You see, here's what Elijah was walking through. For three years, he was pouring his life into this moment that happened on Mount Carmel. It says physically and spiritually, God is preparing him for that moment. And so he builds up his life to accomplish this goal that God had called for him. And it says that he is physically and spiritually tired. He poured everything out he had out into this moment. And he built up this expectation that when God uses me and works through this moment, there's going to be a great revival. God has a great plan for what's going to happen. It's going to be amazing. But instead of that happening, it says the queen threatens to kill him and take his life. And so now he's struggling with being physically and spiritually tired. His expectations of of revival are crushed. And then says he runs out into the wilderness, he leaves his slave, and he isolates himself in the wilderness. He abandons everybody he knows and tries to go about life alone, alone and deal with it himself. He's tired, he's defeated, and he's alone. That is the perfect storm for depression. And that's where he finds himself. But I want to remind you today, for those of you guys that find yourself there, 
heading in that direction. You know somebody that's there. First John 4, 4 says, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The Bible reminds us that we are overcomers. You can overcome your fears. You can overcome your expectations. You can overcome what people have said to you, the situation that you're in, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. When we put our focus on Jesus, we put our focus on his plan, we overcome those problems. And see, the worst thing we can do is dwell on our circumstance, dwell on our situation, and then isolate ourselves from other people. The great thing about being part of a church body is every single one of us in here is not perfect. We are all trying to figure this thing out together, right? We're all trying to live the best life we can. We're all trying to please Jesus in all that we do. But there's going to be bumps along the way. We're going to struggle. But the great thing about being a part of this community is that we are here for each other. Whatever you're walking through right now, somebody else has most likely already walked through or is walking through right now. You need to find that person and connect with that person, not isolate yourself and dwell on your circumstance. Whether it's health, finances, whatever it is you're walking through that you're struggling with, there are people here dealing with what you're dealing with. And that's the great thing about this community that we have here that God has brought us to. But if this is you today, I want you to remind you of two things. Number one is that you are not alone. You are not alone. We are here. Your community is here. Your brothers and sisters are here. We need to find people and not isolate ourselves and dwell in our circumstance. But the second thing is that I don't want you to leave here today without dealing with that issue. Don't leave here today without dealing with that issue. There's no magic answer to getting through depression and just waking up the next day and everything's fine. But what you can do is find people to invest in. We have prayer partners after the service that will be up here that would love to pray with you. Uh, We have pastors and other staff members and ministry partners that would love to pray with you and be there for you and talk with you and listen to you. Uh, We have counselors on site. Uh, Norm, many of you guys know Norm Yeager has an office in our church building. Uh, He would love to sit and help counsel you if that's what you need. But I'm going to put up some information on the screen. If this is you today and you find yourself isolated and you're struggling and your depression, you're struggling with where God's at, I want you to email me or call Norm, check out his website, and seek help. But don't isolate yourself. Don't continue to dwell in your circumstance. You've got to get help. And so I want to encourage you today, before you leave today, promise me that you will make a step towards getting through that together. So Elijah finds himself depressed, alone in the wilderness. He's running from God. He's focused on his circumstance. His life has been threatened. And now God shows up into the picture Again, and I love this. In the next few verses, you're going to see the word behold five times. We always look for repeating patterns in Scripture when we read, but each time the word behold shows up, God shows up and reveals something to Elijah. So starting in verse 5, here's what it says. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree and underlined, Behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise and eat. So on your outline, we're going to start seeing the things that God does to help Elijah in his depression. The first thing that he allows Elijah to do is rest. God provides Elijah with rest. For some of you guys in this room right now, the most spiritual thing you can do this afternoon is go home and take a nap. You're welcome. But in all seriousness, we tend to pack our schedule, right? We work nine to five or beyond that, 60 hours a week. We come home, we got to mow the lawn, we got to do this, got to there, drive the kids here, drive the kids there, got to have food on the table, We pack our lives so full that we have no time to rest. You see, rest is a biblical principle. It says that God, for six days, created the universe. On the seventh day, he what? 
he rested. He didn't go back to work and find more stuff to do. It says that he rested. And it says in Scripture, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you what? Rest. It is a biblical principle that sometimes you need to step out of the business of life. And I know you say, well, I've got all these things to do. Then I'm talking to you. You need to take a break and you need to rest. Because when you are physically tired, you are spiritually worthless. You cannot do what God's calling you to do if you can't function. Okay, so God says you need to rest. He says, I will give you rest. The other thing that he gives him in this passage, it says God provides Elijah with an angel. Let me write that on your outline. God provides Elijah with an angel. It says that an angel showed up. The interesting thing about this angel, and we'll get here in a second, but in verse 7, it calls him the angel of the Lord. And typically when the angel of the Lord is mentioned in Scripture, in the Old Testament, it's a, it's a revelation that this is Jesus coming, appearing to uh, whoever it is. You see in Genesis 16, it says the angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar. Exodus 3, the angel of the Lord appears to Moses in the burning bush. Uh, in Judges chapter 2, the angel of the Lord appears to Israel. And so this is Jesus kind of himself showing up and speaking to Elijah. I think there's a great story here in that when we want to save ourselves, Jesus pops in the picture and says, nope, I'm the one that's here to save you. And that when we're running and we're trying to get out of God's plan, he shows up and says, nope, I'm right here with you. No matter where you go, you can't get away from me. I'm right here with you. So Jesus shows up at Elijah's greatest point of need. And then in verse 6, it goes on. It says, then he looked and underlined, behold, there was a, a, his, at his head a bread-baked cake. Say that four times fast on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down. The angel of the Lord came to him, underline a second time, and touched him and said, Arise and eat. And I want you to underline this. Because the journey is too great for you. Because the journey is too great for you. On your outline, I want you to write, God provides Elijah with nourishment. God provides Elijah with nourishment. And the thing I love about this passage, it says, Look, I know you're running. I know you're trying to do things on your own. You're trying to escape for your life. I know that you are running from me, but he says, look, you're not going to get there. The journey is too great for you without me, so I'm going to run with you. He says, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to nourish you so that you can get to where you're going. Even though you're not going where I want you to go, he says, I'm going to provide for you and help you get there. Who else do you know that wants to provide for you when you're running? But it says, God shows up, and I'm going to take care of you and help you get there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that as always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. You see, God is a God of grace. He's a God of love. He's a God of nourishment and compassion. And he wants to give those to you and overflow those things in your life, even when you're not focused on him. He's like, I'm still here. I still want to help you get where you need to be. And he says, Elijah, you have a spiritual need. But notice he didn't show up rebuking Elijah for running and yelling at him and screaming and saying, you're doing the wrong thing. It says he shows up and he loves him. He provides for him. He gives him rest, makes him some food, says, I'm going to help you get where you're going. He shows compassion and love. Because he knows, I can't deal with you spiritually if physically you can't make it. So he says, I'm going to deal with your physical needs first, and then we'll deal with your spiritual needs. So he, he wakes up the next day and begins the second part of his journey. I said this was a two-part marathon. I'm going to put the map up again on the screen. 
And so you see Jezreel to Beersheba, that's where he's at when the angel of the Lord appears to him in the wilderness. And it says from there, he continues his journey south uh, to Mount Sinai. In our story here in the Bible, it's called Mount Horeb. It's the same mountain. Uh, But this is a very uh, spiritual place for the Israelites. This is where God showed up and gave them the Ten Commandments. This is where they believe the presence of God kind of was. And so he's running to seek God at Mount Sinai. But that's about a 200-mile journey. So altogether, he's running almost 300 miles to save his life. So you can say he's taking a little bit of a detour in God's plan for his life. So he rises and heads out. In verse 8 it says, So he rose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And underlined, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said, and I love this, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And he said, I've been zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. On your outline, I want you to write, God allows Elijah to vent his concerns. God allows Elijah to vent his concerns. And the great part about it is he says, look, you know, they've forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets. All these things are true. He's like, just get it off. Get it off your chest. Just keep going. Some of us have to vent our frustrations. There is a healthy way to do that. You have to find the person that can help you. Vent. For some of you guys, you need to be on the opposite side. You need to put your listening ears on and just sit and listen. We often want to step into people's situations and help them and fix their problem. But most of the time, we just need to sit and listen. Let them talk. Let them get it off their chest. But we have to be able to vent and get those frustrations out so that we can get back to the point where we can see through those frustrations. But he says all these things that are true, and then he gets to the end and says, I alone am left. I'm the only one that cares anymore. You see, he got to the point where he starts believing a lie. And as we'll see later on in Scripture, God says, no, there are 7,000 people just like you. But you're choosing to sulk and focus on your own pity instead of seeing all that God has around you, instead of seeing the community that I have provided for you. And so he's letting him vent his concerns. We often hold on to things way too long. God says, sometimes you've got to get it off your chest. It's healthy. You don't want to dwell on that. That's where bitterness creeps in. That's where frustration creeps in. Sometimes you've got to vent. And then for other of us, others of us in here, we have to ask, why am I here? Why am I here? He says to Elijah, Elijah, why are you here? He goes, I did all these great things. You know, you saw me show up, yet you're running 300 miles away. Why are you here? And so he's asking this introspective question. Some of you guys need to ask yourselves, why are you here? Why are you in the situation you're in? Why are you running? Why are you at where you're at? And you start thinking through, why is it that I'm here? Where is your trust and your faith in Jesus? In verse 11, it goes on to say, So he said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And underline, behold, The Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of underline a gentle blowing. In other translations, put a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance to the cave. And underline, behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here? Elijah. Then he said, the speech that he had memorized at this point, he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets by the sword, and I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. He's still focusing on his frustration. 
But on your outline, I want you to write this. God provides Elijah with his word. God provides Elijah with his word. It says that he shows up and a still whisper. It says, I'm right here. What are you doing here? It starts to encourage Elijah and build him up and refocus his plan. And I think there's an important message in this for all of us. You see, so many of us find ourselves praying to God and saying, God, if you would just show up and give me this, if you would give me this blessing, if you would provide this for me, God, if you would give me patience, never pray for patience, by the way, but if you do it, be prepared. God will give you opportunities to do that. But we expect God to show up in the miraculous. God, if you would just show up and do this, and God certainly can do that. But as we read through Scripture, that is usually not the way God chooses to handle himself. Usually it's through his word, and it's through his spirit. He says, I'm going to speak to you. I've got a plan for you. I want you to know this, but it's not going to be through the miraculous that we seek. You see, Elijah had seen the miraculous. He raised somebody from the dead. Fire comes down. The rain stopped and the rain started, all because he trusted and had faith in God. So God had done the miraculous right in front of Elijah. And so it says when the wind comes and the, and the earthquake comes and the fire comes, you know, why wouldn't God be in those things? But it says God came in a small, small whisper. And there's a couple of things that I think we need to take from that. Number one is that I love the fact it's a whisper. If I were to take this microphone off and start whispering, the people in the back of the room would not be able to hear me. So it reminds me that God is always right by my side. He's whispering in our ear, encouraging us, pointing us the direction to go. He's not some distant God that doesn't have a relationship with us that we can't talk to, but he is right there whispering in our ear. And the other thing is that in order to hear God, we need to be seeking his voice. We need to be seeking his voice. You see, many of us say, well, you know, why doesn't God speak to us anymore? Well, he does. If you've ever read the Bible, if you've ever um, had that point where something, you're praying and you get that nudging from the Spirit, you know, a message that's just for you and what you needed to hear today, God still actively speaks, but the problem is many of us don't seek him and we miss the whisper. We have to be seeking him. A couple of weeks ago, as we talked about the foundation of our faith, he said one of the things we have to do is be in God's word. And we had over 120 people sign up to uh, do the Bible reading plan with us, which is awesome. Um, But I know there are more people in here that need to be a part of that. So what I want you to do is if you're struggling seeking him through your time in the word, I want you to write Bible on your connection card, drop in the tie box. And tomorrow I'm going to email you a reading plan, 30 days, one chapter a day. It's all it is. And we're going to read through it together. Because we have to be seeking him in order to hear his voice or else we can miss it. We have to be seeking him. In verse 15, it goes on to say, The Lord said to him, underline, Go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint King Hazael over Aram and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you will anoint as king of Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat from Abel Mecholah, you shall anoint the prophet in your place. On your outline, write, God provides Elijah with a renewed purpose. God provides Elijah with a renewed purpose. He says, Elijah, it's time to get back to work. You know, to get off of our current situation, sometimes you've got to get busy. He says, look, you're a prophet, so I'm going to send you to go do what prophets do. You're going to anoint people. You're going to pass your mantle off to Elisha, begin pouring yourself and mentoring the person that's going to replace you eventually, but you need to get back to work. I've got a plan for you. You need to go and do it. And so he says, he passes this on to him. He gives him a renewed purpose. And in verse 18, it says, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and have not leaned down to kiss to him. So he departed from there, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, and he with the 12, 
12. And Elijah passed over him and threw his mantle upon him. So on your outline, the last thing there is God provides Elijah with a companion. He provides Elijah with a companion. Like I said, we tend to isolate ourselves. He says, you need somebody to keep you busy. You need somebody to keep you focused, somebody to keep you accountable, somebody that can take over in your place. You need to be pouring yourself into someone. And so it says, despite the fact that you're running, I've got a plan. And your plan is to go back to where you came from, face your fears, face your circumstances, face your frustrations, and keep doing what I've called you to do. So he renews that purpose in his life. And so God still chooses to use Elijah. Even though he ran, God says, I'm not done with you yet. For some of you in here that are running or trying to get away from God's plan, you need to remember, God is right there with you. He wants to renew that purpose in you and point you back in the direction that he has for you. But the thing I love about Elijah's story is that Elijah's plan and expectation was for God to show up and eradicate Baal, and it didn't happen. But he felt there was a promise for him there that God was going to do that. And just like Moses, it says that he was going to lead his people to the promised land. He got them to the doorstep, and it says he died before leading his people into Israel because he chose to deviate from God's plan. Elijah deviates, so he doesn't get to see the fulfillment of that promise, but God still came through for him. It says in 2 Kings chapter 10 that Jehu, the king that Elijah had anointed, and Elisha, the prophet that he had anointed to come and replace him, the two of them eradicate Baal from Israel. Because he still redirected his life and he went back and did what God called him to do and got back on track, God still fulfilled that promise. He still used Elijah to accomplish the goal. It might not have been indirectly, but God still had a plan for him to invest in those that would continue to carry the mantle forward. And the thing I love about it, and this isn't important to the story, but it says in 2 Kings chapter 10 that they slaughtered all the prophets of Baal. And it says that Jehu, the king of Israel, it said it turns the house of Baal into a toilet. I don't know what you do with that, but I love the fact that he did that. Because Elijah still focused on God and refocused himself, took his lies off of his circumstances back on God, God still used him and God still had a plan and God's promise was still fulfilled. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. No matter where you're at right now, running, you're where you need to be, the mountaintop, the valley, God is with you and he will not forsake you. And some of you guys need to hear that today. Some of you guys need to repeat that over and over your head today because you're facing your fears, you're facing your circumstance, and you need to refocus yourself on God. But let's pray. Jesus, we thank you today for your word. And God, we thank you for the story of Elijah, God, just that so much we can take from this and apply to our lives, God, that when we are struggling in our faith, we're doubting, God, we know that we are not alone. For one, you are with us, and God, two, you provided a community around us to support us through the good times and the bad times. And so, God, I pray that today, for those that need to hear this word, Father, that your spirit is moving and speaking to them, God, that when we leave here today, we leave with a renewed focus and a renewed sense of purpose from you, God, that you have a plan for our lives. God, may you continue to speak into us. May you continue to uh, bring us to you and focus us on you. God, we thank you for sending Jesus to die for us. Because of him, we have a hope and we have faith. And God, I just pray right now that all that we do this week brings you glory, honor, and praise. God, open up the doors for us to share our faith, to tell people about you, and to invest in the life of others this week. Go before us. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.